Well, hello again and welcome in wherever you are today and wherever you're listening from. I'm so happy to have you over to feast upon God's word together. Put your plate ready today and take a seat. It's the 44, which is Matthew 4, 4. Man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's eat. I'm your host, Jed Yancey, and an early Merry Christmas to all of you. I know we aren't quite yet to the end of the year, but it's been on my mind all week how thankful I am for each of you that on the weekly pull a chair up to the table and eat from God's Word with me and your fellow 44ians. I guess it's okay to call you that. And I think on my end, what is so cool about uh, this and, and podcasting in general, what I'm most thankful for is that while I love my fellow Floridians, um, and I hope you guys know that, uh, but we've had some guests here recently tuning in, pulling a seat up to the table from uh, from Dothan and Birmingham, Alabama, um, from Kansas, and uh, several from other countries even. And while I can't see who you are and I, I can't attach a name uh, to who you are in those locations. I thank you guys from hours away that are choosing to join us down here in Florida. Uh, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that there are always more seats at the table. And so I hope that wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, that what we're eating on each week is helpful for you personally and helpful for you evangelistically as as we are his workmanship. Uh, We're created for good works, to to reach, to make touches, to spread the good news. Uh, That's that's the goal. That's what we're after. But uh, anywho, before we start, I I just want you all to know I I love you, and I, I thank you so much for tuning in each week and hope to connect on a more personal level uh, with you guys, most especially that aren't in in the Ocala area, we've created a new 44 podcast Facebook page uh, that you can follow and um, where we'll post some added things as, as well as give us an opportunity to connect a little bit a little bit better. And, and also added in video through uh, YouTube. You can find that and uh, find it through our central YouTube channel. but, uh, anyways, I, I know you guys that are here listening today, you're not here to listen to me talk about all that, uh, just making you aware of some changes. You you came to eat today, so uh, let's do that. Let's eat. And in today's episode, it, it really stems uh, from a lot of conversations I've had in the last year, as well as some material that I've uh, come across and, and been handed from time to time. Um, here recently... Me and a few of my brother-in-laws were in the backyard of my house playing some pickleball. And there were some folks from uh, another church, you know, around here locally that were passing out invitations to their church. And and they were talking to folks around the neighborhood and handing out some material along with it. And so we were right at the end of the game uh, of of playing when they walked up and one of the guys handed us what... They were passing out and talked a little bit about that and then immediately transitioned into this question and asked me if I was saved. And I said, yes, sir. And so then he asked, well, well, how do you know? And I responded back with, well, you know, back in seventh grade, I did what 
God desired of me to do. I, I believed at that time. I, I repented. I confessed his name before men. Uh, then I was immersed in water. I was baptized. And since then, while I've failed many, many more times than I've, I've done things right, and I've sinned many, many times, I've done my very best since then uh, to, to live for him, to obey him. And when I haven't, to go back and repent. Um, and what was curious about all this is that they kind of acted like it was it was odd of me to be so confident, my answer to that initial question. And so for the sake of time, I'm not going to give you the rest of that conversation, except to say that for the most part, um, their stance was that I, I didn't really need to do all of that. And all I really needed to do was was say a sinner's prayer, which uh, honestly, can I can I just go ahead and say that uh, more days than not, and, and actually several times every day, I do pray a sinner's prayer. If, if that's what we want to call our prayers of repentance and of confession, uh, but the idea of a, a sinner's prayer as a means to our salvation is is preached and it's talked about often. And uh, and they offered a, a, a repeat after me prayer to pray to say basically I'm a sinner and ask Jesus into my heart and then I would be saved at that time. And again, you know, my answer was uh, very kind and gentle, no thanks. Uh, but then in reading through the material they left, it it offered up. Some of the same things, and most of all, everything in this little pamphlet that they gave out and were passing out, it all led to a prayer for the reader to pray that read this way. Uh, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I deserve to go to hell. I, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I do now receive him as my Lord and personal Savior. I, I promise to serve you to the best of my ability Please save me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we take on the the topic that is this sinner's prayer today, first off, you know, like digging through some of the history of where this started, you need to know as a matter of first importance that praying a sinner's prayer is not a, a means to salvation. And nowhere after the time of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection can we read. In God's word of someone saving that comes through a repeat after me prayer. In fact, the closest thing that I can find to that crucial moment, uh, you know, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. And, and remember, Peter is preaching in Acts 2 when in the midst of tons of people, he goes back to the prophet Joel there and he says in verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, the Cliff Notes version of everything Peter preaches after that is that, you know, basically this man, Jesus, the one God sent, you nailed him to a cross. You put him to death, but God raised him up. And again, Peter says, I witnessed it. Uh, so did others. So so let, let's get one thing straight. Like God made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this one that you crucified. Now, 
What's interesting about this in the context of the sinner's prayer and that being all we need to do is that Peter had already said, like I, I just read to you, call in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And yet immediately after they hear this preached by Peter, we don't read that thousands of people uh, prayed a prayer or repeated after uh, Peter. It, Peter doesn't conclude his sermon by saying, okay, now repeat after me and, and, and says the sinner's prayer. Uh, what happens next is that these thousands of people that are gathered there, mind you, again, after already hearing it preached and, and go back fashion to Joel, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. They then ask, okay, what should we do now? Like, There's more of a response. And listen carefully to Peter's response in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, because it's not this sinner's prayer. Peter's response is this, repent and, which is a key word here, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's not enough to show the idea of a sinner's prayer is not all of the response that we should have to the gospel and the good news, then look at what Luke writes that Peter says next in verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified, and he kept on exhorting them, uh, be saved. You hear that? Be saved from this perverse generation. So now the natural next question is like, okay, um, you know, how? Like, and that wasn't already just answered with Peter's words and what they should do, but Luke records that there were about 3,000 people who prayed a sinner's prayer. No, there were 3,000, about 3,000 people who received this gospel message and responded by being baptized, not saying a sinner's prayer. And a little later, we find a story of an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, a guy uh, you know, that's riding on a chariot, and he's on this desert road, and he's reading Scripture. And Philip goes up next to him, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And this guy says, no, like I need someone to teach me and to tell me. And so Philip does, and beginning with where this man was uh, in the prophet Isaiah, Philip, we can read, preached Jesus to him. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. And in much the same way Peter preached Jesus on the day of Pentecost, look at the response from this Ethiopian eunuch as Philip preaches Jesus. And, and you tell me if you see a sinner's prayer here. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I do. I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered that the chariot stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. No sinner's prayer there. One more for good measure. Acts chapter 16, we have this uh, situation where Paul and Silas are delivered out of prison. 
And the man in charge of guarding them is about to kill himself because he knows that's what's going to happen anyways because these guys have been uh, released. So Paul and Silas, they scream at this man to stop. Don't kill yourself. And he does. He stops. And he goes over and he falls down at the feet of Paul and Silas and, and he asks a question, guys, what do I need to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas said, well, all you need to do is repeat after me and say the sinner's prayer. No. Here's what they actually say in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 31. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. But that's not all. Verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Surprise, surprise, right? And they preached Jesus to him, starting to sound familiar. Uh, so anyways, they, they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And they took them that very night, uh, hour of the night, and they washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and he set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now, I know that I've mentioned these examples before a few months back in another episode, but do you see how these examples go all the way back to the very question that I was asked on that Saturday after my pickleball game? Are you saved? You see, any example you want to point to or or go to after the point of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, you find this common response to the good news. Uh, the gospel message, and none of the responses include a sinner's prayer. But some might say, well, what about Romans 10? Romans 10, 9 through 10, and add in there verse 13 is kind of an uh-oh moment uh, for, for this argument, right, of the sinner's prayer. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans there, and he says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Whoever, verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of the same stuff we heard Peter on the day of Pentecost say. So, you know, Specific to this Romans passage, if it's lifted and it's used solo, this verse by itself, on its own, without any context, then sure, I'll hear any and all arguments to a sinner's prayer and asking Jesus into our hearts to be saved. But I would advise against lifting just one verse to prove a sinner's prayer, especially without context, because while we see this book as chapter and, and verse and uh, book chapter and verse, and we can go to certain parts in our Bible based on that. This letter, Romans, was originally written as an all-in-one letter, all-inclusive. And guess what Paul addressed long before what we read here in chapter 10? The same thing we see in Acts, the same response that we should take. Romans 6, Paul talks about baptism. To preach and to teach Jesus is to preach and to teach being buried with him in baptism. 
not saying a, a, a prayer or just merely asking Jesus into our hearts in prayer. You see, without just lifting this one verse without context, Paul is arguing here in Romans chapter 10 uh, that salvation is, I mean, it's always been a system of faith, and, and God has always worked with man based on their faith. It's always been the case, even in the Old Testament. So we would be right, just as Paul is right in saying, with his heart a person believes, uh, with his mouth he confesses, which results in salvation. It, it's true, but not from the standpoint that you view this as the expression, the what must I do in order to be saved. Faith is is believing all that what God said is true, but the expression of that faith is pretty well outlined for us in Scripture. For example, if we if we go all the way back to Noah, like Noah is a man that had great faith, and what was Noah's expression of faith? Was was just believing and having faith enough? No, his expression of belief and faith was that he built an ark, and he was saved through that. Moses' expression of faith was was what? He he went back to Egypt and he faced the Pharaoh. Uh, You can point to all these other examples in Hebrews chapter 11 and the great hall of faith chapter, right? Like, sure, they had faith. They believed. But those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 are in there because of of their expression of faith or or acting on that faith. They're they're commended for that. They're, They're added into scripture for that. Like, Belief in your heart or saying a sinner's prayer is a means of an expression of your faith is not what Paul is writing about or or described here. In fact, he didn't really need to. Why? Because again, Paul had already written about how to respond to the gospel and to the good news. Romans chapter 6, beginning there in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You see, in chapter 10, really the whole context of that chapter is Paul writing and and talking about law, and he sends us back in verse 5. Uh, to a for Moses writes <laughs> and, and about faith. He he also in that chapter quotes some of the Old Testament prophets in order to demonstrate salvation by a system of faith is always what the word taught. It's nothing new. Nothing, you know. He's he's not introducing something that's new. And so as you think back on the Old Testament, like that that faith that was first expressed by circumcision with with Abraham, right? He's told, go circumcise your sons, and he he does. In the New Testament, we're still saved by faith, but we express that faith in in a different way. We don't circumcise. We don't build a boat like Noah did. So what do we do? Well, in the same way that Noah built a boat, And the building of that boat saved him. Peter, the same Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, says this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, corresponding to Noah and his building 
the ark and how that saved him. Now, baptism saves you. You see, throughout the entire New Testament, we don't, and, and we can't read uh, a sinner's prayer. We, we can't read of that. What we do read is that when someone believes with all their heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that the expression of faith is to repent of their sin, to confess his name before men, and a, and a key word here, and be immersed in water and begin that that journey of coming up out of the water in newness of life and living your life from then on as best you can for him. So I think, you know, in summing this up, um, I'd like to repeat a passage from the Proverbs in, in chapter 16 and verse 25 that reads, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. You see, in keeping in theme with our last few episodes, you're 44 today. Like you, you guys that have listened to the last few, tell me if this sounds familiar. Open your Bible, read it. And as it pertains to our topic today, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious, how did the process of, of rebirth that Jesus talks about in, in John 3 and how did how did what he commissioned his disciples to do in Matthew chapter 28 and all that we've read on specific occasions here in Acts how did all of that evolve into praying him into one's heart i i don't i don't think it's anything more than a way that seems right to man as the proverbs say but in the end it's not the truth as it pertains to the word of God, to the commands of God, and the words and the teachings of the Son of God. You can't find it. As we close here, I hope that you enjoyed our time here together today. I love you guys. I'm praying that you enjoy this holiday season, and I'll talk to you next week. But in the meantime, open the book and keep on eating. Love you guys, and I'll talk to you next week.